0: This is the Context Podcast sponsored by Proofgeist. I'm your host, Jeremy Brown. Today's episode is more about JavaScript, specifically a newly formed framework called the JavaScript Development Environment. Todd joins me today as I talk with him about this environment. We look at each part of it, its history, and its use to give some introduction to it. This framework, a version of the way we write JavaScript here at Proofgeist, for FileMaker is meant to be available to anyone who wants to use it and Todd and I review it to make sure it's ready to go. The JS development environment is available now on GitHub. The link is in the show notes and soon we'll have videos explaining its features and its use. Feel free to download it and start working with it, but know that we'll walk through it together. I'll also be presenting some ad hoc office hours walking through this environment and using it to build JavaScript widgets see that link in the show notes as well and join me if you can now let's hear what Todd has to say about this Js development environment hey Todd uh, thanks for meeting with me today I'd like to uh, how are you
1: doing by the way I'm doing great thanks Jeremy
0: are, are things nice and busy here oh yeah yeah good you're working <laughs> on working on products and, uh,
1: gearing products up for and projects all cool and stuff. all kinds of stuff.
0: All right, good. Well, I have uh, been working on some things um, and have been showing them around, but I want to walk with walk through with you the, the, the this JavaScript development environment that I've been kind of I've been writing about a little bit and showing here and there. Um, I've done a couple um, user group presentations where I've used this as the back end. And I think people are interested in this. They, uh, I got a lot of questions at my last one where I was talking about dashboards. They were like, um, how did you write JavaScript and see it over in FileMaker immediately? They were pretty enthralled by that. Yeah. So I want to w- walk with you because uh, you're the one who sort of taught me this or kind of you showed me this as we were working on the add-ons mm-hmm. way back when. And I'm just curious, so let let, let me define this, this JavaScript development environment and see if I get anything wrong here.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> this is a, a like a little setup that we have that we have here at Proof Geist, um, we had at Geist Interactive as well, that it it's a place where we can write JavaScript in VS code, immediately see it render over in a web viewer in a FileMaker app, we can work with FileMaker data easily because of this connection. And when we're done with our development, we can easily deploy it to FileMaker and make it available for the app uh, without uh, without the need for the VS code in the background. Right. Is that basically what this is? Yep. Yeah. It's just a place to, to write JavaScript.
1: Now, well, I mean, I what I would, I mean, you might somebody might ask, like, you know, why, right? Um, yeah. Why, why do all this stuff? So, you can certainly write JavaScript in a text field in FileMaker. I mean, it is just text, but you will lose all the benefit of the modern tooling that uh, that you get if you're using something like like VS Code. So the auto completes and uh, IntelliSense, and you know, it's getting really good. Like, like, um, like GitHub just released their AI powered assistant which will write code for you and comments for you based on what you've been writing. It's kind of hit or miss, but it certainly shows where the future is going, where you're going to want to be writing code in one of these smart editors. You're not going to want to write it in a FileMaker maker field, right?
0: That's a natural progression. That's a natural place to start, right? I remember when I was developed my first set of these integrations, I wrote it in a field because it felt like the easiest because mm. A web viewer could easily pick up the JavaScript mm-hmm. or the HTML, the whole structure from a field, right?
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Uh, did you start like that? Did you yep. start sure. writing code like mm-hmm. that? Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, did you yep. ever that, use
1: back in FileMaker eight point five?
0: Well, okay, so that, that's an interesting idea. When did you? How did you transition along the way in your writing JavaScript? Can do you know when you just started to use VS Code only to write JavaScript for FileMaker?
1: That's it's been a long time I also used it I used to write a lot of groovy um, using scriptmaster from 360 works and it was the same kind of issue there I was writing it in a text field and uh, but again no no code editor stuff um, no type ahead none of that no indenting no formatting none of that would happen there so I wrote kind of the first versions of what of how we how we do it now with vs code for actually for groovy um, I was using um, JetBrains IDE. So uh, an IDE is much. It's it's kind of like. Um, so there's actually three three basic types of code editors. There's just a text editor like um, say TextMate or BB Edit or um, there's a couple others out there uh, depending Windows Note Note Plus or whatever the Windows version of that is. Um, And then there are IDEs at the other end. IDEs are what people used to use um, a lot of. And so those are things like Visual Studio. So not Visual Studio Code, but Visual Studio or or, um, JetBrains. They have one too, um, which I'm forgetting the name of right now. But these are very powerful, but also very complex uh, code editors that were often used at the enterprise level. Uh, And there wasn't really anything in between until... VS Code came along, so VS Code was started as a light version of Visual Studio. That's where the VS comes from, and it kind of combined the lightness of a text editor, which was really easy to start up, really easy to get working, and just you know kind of get into, with some of the the more useful things that an IDE would bring, which would be like IntelliSense, so the ability to know what your um, what the variables, what types of data. The variables should be, for example, when you're when you're entering a function and um, calling a function, it's right in the middle. So VS Code, uh, I don't actually know when it came out. Now is five, six, seven years ago, something like that. But it really took off because it sat right in the middle of these two things. And I mean, people use other things. Vim probably is the other big one that people use. But but I think uh, it's got a pretty large chunk of the market now. Um. So I don't know, started using that because of, I think, I think here's, so here's why I started using it because when you write code in a text editor, first of all, it's very difficult to manage because you don't, you probably, you know, you get these very long text strings in there and you don't really know, you don't know where the bugs are, right? Because there's no highlight and there's no like, this is, mm-hmm. it doesn't tell you that there's a missing comma or a missing semicolon or a, or a variable spell wrong. None of that's there. So then you would just you would just you know open up your web viewer and it would just be blank. <laughs> you'd be like, ah, oh, darn. So you'd look in your you you'd look in your console and you might get an error. Um, it might tell you something, but oftentimes mm-hmm. it wouldn't even give you much information. So you'd have to do this thing where you'd put like an alert or a console log down through your code until you find the place that failed, and then you'd have to fix it. It was a total nightmare for doing anything complex. So that's when I started looking at. At using VS Code,
0: yeah, it's 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 easy because you can write a field in a field. We're all used to that, but it's not easy in that you're missing all of that stuff. And I think that's the reason why, you know, I'm taking what you have worked on for add-ons and what you have developed for clients and for what we do here at Proofgeist. I'm sort of taking it and trying to make it mass market, so to speak, mm-hmm. and make it available for everybody. And I think the mm-hmm. purpose is to give every single person, even more of an ability to write JavaScript in for FileMaker and write mm-hmm. their apps, whether they're um, adapting a library, configuring how they want the library to render a data table or a chart or whatever. Um, or if they're just writing plain vanilla JavaScript from scratch, this is another step in making it easier for them. When I, when I did my training sessions, I was limited to using a FileMaker field for the writing. And both you and I talked about that a long time back in 2018 and 19 when I when I did this. And we knew that there was a lot of issues with that, but we were kind of thinking back then that it's best if we just focus on JavaScript rather than JavaScript VS Code connection between FileMaker,
1: all of that yeah. stuff, right? It's a lot to manage. And I think people who, have not written javascript before you know their their home base is filemaker they feel very comfortable there Um, and so asking them to learn javascript and vs code at the same time and terminal because you need to use terminal for that is a lot a lot to ask so it's a good it's a reasonable place to start when you're when you're doing mostly copy paste right then it's not it's not a big deal but once you start actually writing javascript It gets pretty tough to do inside of a field.
0: Okay. And so there were other benefits to working with just straight fields in in FileMaker in that you could put your data in a field, Mm -hmm. you could do some substitution thing, and you could get your data into the JavaScript, right? That was when we didn't have any connection between FileMaker and JavaScript. But in FileMaker 19, we now have a connection From filemaker to javascript so we can easily push data into filemaker into javascript without the need for any substitution that's right right and you mentioned that it's a lot to handle and i i kind of agree with that but i think we have you and i and other people in the in the world have made a lot of strides in making javascript more accessible to everybody we have a I have the JavaScript learning path. We have it on our site here and and it was a it was a way to show people some JavaScript that they could start right away and use and be successful, right? We have countless videos. There are countless videos of people taking integrations and manipulating the config area and getting it to do a line chart instead of a bar chart. So I think I'm, I'm, and I'm curious of your opinion. Do you think we are at a place where people can take on the burden of working with VS Code, <laughs> terminal, npm, Git, all that
1: stuff? I don't want to judge people's, you know, um, desires around what what environment they want to use, but I would say that that in the world we have today, in, in the in the in the in the business space that developers have been operating in for many, many years for decades now is uh, you know making business systems, making systems that organize data, visualize data, manage data, uh, you know accomplish tasks um, you know, to, on that data. Those kinds of things um, more and more and more are going to require an, an understanding of sort of the broader ecosystem, within which these apps exist. And there are lots of other programming languages and some of them are well worth learning. Um, uh, you know, a whole lot of them are well worth learning. But when it comes to the sort of broadest use case, there's really nothing that compares to JavaScript in terms of what it can do. So it's a good place to have a general understanding about how things work. And then sort of the other nice thing about it is a, is, a, is a subset of it is JSON, and uh, JSON stands for JavaScript Object Notation. So JSON is JavaScript. Not all JavaScript is JSON, but all JSON is JavaScript. And I just don't know how you can do what we do today without without JSON. Mm-hmm. So all of those things play into just this idea that JavaScript is where, is, is where you should be looking to expand. And I think in terms of how you do that, you know, once you get past the simple stage, you're going to want to be in a text editor. Mm -hmm. There's just a lot of benefits there, and you will. It will save you a lot of time if you're in a text editor, and you can learn to to use VS Code, and you can learn to use a terminal a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. It'll save you a lot of time for sure.
0: There's another reason I think that. I have I have changed my mind about using VS Code and, and such to learn JavaScript because it's a great place, as you said, to see your mistakes. VS Code easily tells you if you're if you have declared a variable but have never used it. You thought you did, but yeah. because it's
1: a different case, you know, you it's it's unused. for That's right.
0: example. That's right. Um, so it has VS tons code.
1: of tools that help you yeah. like that, like yeah. things that we you really miss um, right. uh, if you don't if you're not using it.
0: I remember. Both years that I did the training session, I got some feedback. Oh, you know, it's good, whatever, whatever. But I also got a lot of feedback that says, why are we writing in a, in a text field? <laughs> and it, it really hurt my heart that we were doing that. But it was probably a good thing then. I don't see any reason why people could should. I think people could start learning JavaScript in this environment that we're going to we're going to break down the pieces here in a second. But I think they could start learning JavaScript in this environment, see how it's interacting with FileMaker and the data and the web viewer right away mm-hmm. and have a sense of accomplishment and be mm-hmm. able to learn. Yes, there's NPM, there's a little bit of terminal, but it's so little, I think that, you know, if if people have a step by step, they'll remember that or they'll look at that and use it and then really focus on the skills of JavaScript. Yeah. Yeah. So let's break down this this environment. Did you sort of create this entire structure? Or did you pull it from pull this idea from other sources?
1: How did no, you? I mean, it's not that. I mean, I'm. I hope I, I'm, I may not be 100 certain what you're referring to. But if it's it's the idea that you write code on a disk and uh, eventually it's put into FileMaker. I guess I did for the groovy stuff. Probably I wrote a I had a I had a FileMaker file called Coder with a K. I was so clever. Coder with a K. You could connect it to a folder and. Uh, you basically would choose a folder using, I think base elements or some, or some function, some plugin, and then it would, it would just read in the function, read in the text out of the folder um, and that's how it would do its build stuff. So I did that. I was, it had to be at least 10 years ago, maybe longer, maybe, maybe 12 or 15 years ago. And so that idea was, that idea was kind of with me. But the other, the other thing that's that I didn't mention, that's pretty important and um, or that can be helpful is that, and this was, the other thing is we do need to mention that things are changing and some of these requirements are not as strict as they used to be in terms of what you would need to do to get stuff to work. So for example, we don't have internet explorer really to worry about anymore. If you're on, if you're on filemaker 19, three, one, or whatever it is, there's no more internet explorer. This is a big deal. Okay. But for when I was doing all this stuff, we had internet explorer to deal with. We also had, there were various differences between the browsers, even besides that. There were a number of peculiarities about how you dealt with data getting in and out of FileMaker yeah. uh, and just sort of the way FileMaker behaved as a we, as the web, web viewer behaved um, in FileMaker and in WebDirect that made it so that, well, here's what would happen to me is I would write something and, you know, just in pure JavaScript with no FileMaker involved. Uh, and then I would put it into FileMaker and make a few changes and it wouldn't work. And it wouldn't work because there was something about the FileMaker web browser that wasn't the same as the web browser I was using, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're writing your JavaScript app and you're using Chrome and then you put it in a Mac FileMaker file and suddenly you're in Safari and things were different. So there was a, there was a really, really strong pull to, make, to do your development in the thing that was actually what you're deploying to, right? So this was, um, mm. you would, instead of using just a regular browser, you'd use a FileMaker file as the web, you know, with the web view on the layout as the thing you were actually using because that's the thing you're deploying to, right? And so that would that was a very, very strong pull. Frankly, that's getting less and less important now because the browsers are so good and Internet Explorer is now gone and, um, you know, there are other, there are other, things are just they falling away in terms of uh, how much tooling you need anymore polyfills mm-hmm. all this stuff so um, but when I was developing all this that, those were definitely constraints I had to deal with okay. so the rule was work in a text editor and use Filemaker as your development browser not Chrome or Safari but Filemaker mm-hmm. and that was that was sort of the, the goal and then the JavaScript frameworks and the tooling around JavaScript became such that you would have these live previews, which I, which you alluded to earlier, and that became pretty important too. So I don't know. Do you, you want to go through each of those cases, or do you want to break well, it down?
0: Let's break down this in development environment, and we'll see how it's it's all connected. I I, I appreciate you bringing up. I didn't realize this that the idea of <laughs> deploying into the browser that you're going to be working in. In our case, a file maker or web viewer, trying to write the code to get it get it in there as soon as possible. That was that became a rule because yeah. of the
1: various. Because otherwise, you do a ton of development, then try yeah. to ship and it was broken.
0: Yeah, that makes Constantly. complete sense. That makes complete sense. So, okay, so here's here's this development environment setup. And again, I think it's it's something that I have pared down from the work that we are doing for various clients, and we did for the add ons. We yeah. have a. Uh, um, a v, we have a repository right now on GitHub and it contains a couple things. It really is, it's pretty simple. It's, it, what do you call, Todd, what do you call like a folder that's on your desktop that contains all the code? Is that a repository?
1: Or is well, it when you a check project? out the repository, you're going to get, you're going to get that, right? So when you check yeah. it out, okay, you're going to get, you're going to get that, that source directory and it's in there.
0: So this environment is, an, is a kind of a whole ecosystem that works together to allow a user to write JavaScript in VS Code, see it happen in FileMaker, see it deploy and in, in, in render in FileMaker. This, this folder simply contains some basic uh, HTML and JavaScript and CSS files. It also contains a node module called Parcel. Now Parcel, as I understand, is something that somebody wrote that 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 grabs all of your files and it bundles them up and it creates a development server for you to uh, see your code rendered in.
1: Its tagline is blazing fast zero configuration web application builder. <laughs> so blazing fast zero configuration, but web application but I'm sorry well, web application bundler is what it is what it is. So it's it is a it's a kind of tool called a bundler. Okay. And there are a bunch, a bunch of these. there's uh, there's parcel, there's um, uh, well, there's just a lot of them. I mean, there's things like like create React app, nextjs, or bundlers, all there there are lots of bundlers. Uh, and what bundlers do is they take code that's in a separate file, in a bunch of separate files and bring it together into one file. And the reason for doing that is some of its legacy, but it's turning out to still be valuable even today. instead of having to do a bunch of requests to get a bunch of individual files, it can do it as a single request and there's lots of optimizations that can go into that. But the key thing is that it is bundling your, your assets, your HTML, your CSS, and your JavaScript into a, a, a a lower number of files. Uh, And that, that is all optimized to work really, really well in production. And during development, it also creates for you a dev server. So this is an HTTP server that serves those, those assets and will automatically refresh whenever those assets change. So if you, if you change JavaScript, it will immediately update inside of your browser. Once that web viewer is up, once you're, you've got it loaded, changes you make to your files will immediately be shown in your browser. So it's not like in the old days of web development when we would make a change and we'd have to go to our browser, command R to refresh the browser, um, all that stuff is done for you, and it's not even just refreshing it. It's actually taking the little individual bits of code and updating the served version of that code in place. Oh. So it's actually it's doing at least I'm pretty sure how I'm pretty sure Parcel does this. Most of them do at least something uh, similar to what's called hot module replacement. So it's actually putting the new code inside of the old code, and that's what makes it update so fast. So now you're seeing. As you type, you're seeing your changes happen uh, very quickly in the browser.
0: Okay, so good. So, Parcel takes all of my files that are connected together the various ways and bundles it into a fewer file source that and then serves it to a development server. Yeah. Okay. Now, in the FileMaker file, that web viewer is looking at that development server. That's in right. In some cases, yeah. right? So, in my web viewer, actually I'm running it via a script. I'm loading the web viewer via a script. and I, I want to kind of talk about that here. I, I keep going back and forth as what's the best way. But when I press a button, it um, it goes through a script and there's a line in my script that says, "Where is my HTML?" It checks to see if we are in a development environment where I've got a global a variable dollar sign, dollar sign dev marked as one. If that's the case, then it's going to uh, use that local host development uh, dev address Mm -hmm. to um, look at for the web viewer. Yep. And so my web viewer is doing that via the button. It goes through, it finds the name, or I set the name of the web viewer, and I simply say set web viewer to this address. It will then render the code that I've got. Mm -hmm. And as long as that development server is running... Any change that I make will immediately be reflected in the filemaker. That's app. right. What do you prefer? Because I had mentioned that I wasn't sure. I still am not sure. But the the underlying web viewer could have that same logic code yeah. that says if you're in development, look at this local host. If you're not, look elsewhere. Which we'll get into yeah. in a bit. Which do I, you? I know, I prefer?
1: It's. I think it's 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 six of one half dozen the other. Okay. There are cases where you might have to do both. Um, so for example, the add-ons that that we built for Claris are what I call self-booting. So they don't have a script that kicks them off. They are just the, the lay, the web viewer calculation itself handles that part. There are other situations where self-booting won't work and you need a script and, uh, there's weird edge cases where that might be, when that might be necessary. So, it's really contextual, but it, it doesn't at the end of the day, it just is what do you want? Do you do you want it to just do you want to have to call a script to load this web widget or do you just want it to, you know, load when the layout draws? And that's really the only difference. Okay. Difference I've noticed that
0: in, in I've noticed that in the work that I do that like if I build a dashboard, if I if I have it where the web viewer is reading the HTML, or that the inline uh field, which we'll get to in a minute. All of the HTML elements will show up. All of the little cards that will eventually contain a chart shows up first. So so I I go to that layout and I see a bunch of boxes. And then when I press the button, the data gets loaded into it. And then suddenly charts appear Mm. in those boxes. Does that seem like a, 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 a not a good way to do it? Should the web viewer be blank and then everything suddenly
1: appear I, th- or... I think these are just choices that you have to okay. make decide what okay. kind of user experience you want sometimes that's maybe fine sometimes it might not be fine okay not really a, a one way okay. or the other situation
0: so the development environment is running it's running now it's using node to run this development server <laughs> using parcel mm-hmm. so there's a couple things inside of the terminal the vs code contains its own built-in terminal that we type a few commands in there to get this to work, right?
1: It's text messaging. You are text messaging your code. Text messaging
0: doing. my code. Do I? Yeah. Just like should chat. Should there be a user interface <laughs> for this? Why don't I have no. a start button on there somewhere? No,
1: I actually, well, VS Code does actually have user interfaces for calling your NPM scripts, which is what are starting these things off. So there certainly is UI. That's kind of There is kind of a nice thing about VS Code there is it does have UI for a lot of the things that, Know they're simple UI, it's not like Mm -hmm. you know it'll have a list of scripts you can run and you can push the button to run those, you know, like and like parcel start or whatever the command is, but it doesn't need more than that. Uh, I don't think, and but it's nice to have that kind of backup because it, especially if you're learning the terminal to be able to see kind of understand what the uh what the commands that are available for you, it, it can be helpful. It's also helpful for Git because you can get a, an extension for VS Code called GitLens, which can really help you kind of understand what these commands are that you're running mm-hmm. for doing uh, if you're using Git or GitHub for for version control. So another nice thing for VS Code, but I think in general the terminal is a great UI. It's been around for 50 plus years, <laughs> and I don't, and it's essentially unchanged. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's one of these things that is kind of proving itself by its longevity. And it, it takes some getting used to, yep. but you'll get used to it. As I, as I
0: think about the work that I've done, both on this project and in my own, uh, in client projects and in, on this, this stuff here, I kind of feel like there's just like maybe a handful, maybe 10 commands that I'm running all the time. Yeah. And I just get used to them. I think the hardest one for me always is to change directories <laughs> into a specific folder where I want stuff to eventually be placed. Um, but I actually am using my Stream Deck. <laughs> I've got a little button that will hit change. It's called CD, and it changes directory to the the folder where I'm pushing all of my my <laughs> um, my folders into. So uh, all of these projects. But yeah, it's pretty. It's it's actually pretty simple. I'm not very um, terminal fluent, but. The 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 commands that I'm running over and over and over they get in my head and I I know what to do. One
1: one of the other things that I think it's really useful to mention here is that we talked a little bit about package JSON but we didn't really didn't really touch on it. But uh, within the JavaScript ecosystem, package JSON is kind of like the starting point. And inside of that, a lot of things happen. Your de- your dependencies are are declared, and so that when you when you do when you run NPM install. All of your dependencies are downloaded from, from the internet and put onto your into your node modules folder. But the other thing that it does is with NPM scripts, it kind of tells you the commands you need to run to like run a project, right? So pretty much the first place I look whenever I download a code base I don't know anything about, first thing I do is look at npm scripts. What are the things that I am being told I should I should run? And there'll be things like you know start development server right <laughs> or um, build production will be there they'll be listed there and you can and you you can learn how to run them very easily so you can see all of the key commands that you need to run and how to run them right within the package json uh, file inside the scripts key you'll, you'll see that very helpful in 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 my
0: package json in this development environment i've only i've got a real small thing to start i've got some dev dependencies which is a little bit different as I understand in that these the things in the packages, the um, modules that are inside my dev dependencies key property is stuff that I'm using while I'm developing. That's right. But once I bundle everything up, it's not going to be included in the long stream, right? Yeah, Yeah. so you got
1: different environments. When you're running in dev mode, you're in developer environment. And that is uh, usually set by a environmental variable that is set as part of all this tooling that gets installed for you um, or uh, the fact that process.env. Um, node environment is not set to production means you're in development. And then when you, when you eventually build your, your project to its final version, it will, it will, again, the tooling will handle this for you. You won't need really to know anything about it, but when you, when you find the command for build for, you know, produce the final thing, something like NPM run build, it will switch to production and then it will compile the assets under production mode, which will, which will optimize them and remove everything that you're, it won't include anything you're using for development in that bundle.
0: I've got, yeah, I've got two things. I've got one parcel stuff and then I've got an open library that actually does cool things where it opens the, the file maker file and mm-hmm. eventually yeah. it'll push the code in there. So, I stole that from when we were working on the add-ons, right? Because you yeah. had that in there. So pretty cool stuff. Um, okay. So this this, this package JSON contains just those small scripts that you mentioned. In this development environment, we just have a handful. We have looks like six scripts that people can run. Um, most of them, well, the first one that you'll use all the time is the start that just starts the development server, as we talked about. But then what's cool is I can do all my JavaScript code. I can get it all perfect. I can see how it works in FileMaker. I can actually work with real FileMaker data using the new features that we have in FileMaker. And then when I'm done with it, I've got it perfect. I can do a command called build colon upload. And what that does is it runs it runs some stuff under the hood. It takes all my, my HTML, CSS, and my JavaScript It bundles it up into one file, into an inline file. And then we have it set up in a a scripts folder that it will take that inline code and it will push it into a field in FileMaker. Actually, to be more accurate, it runs a script inside of the FileMaker file that grabs the inline code from a place on my drive where it's located and it will insert the text into that field. Yeah. That's pretty cool to me because I can do all my development, get it exactly perfect, and then push it to FileMaker in a field and have it ready for production use very nicely.
1: Yep. So the the bundler is, it's. I mean, in the old days, the first versions of bundlers were concatenators. They would literally take all of the code and just put it in a single file. <laughs> that, was like, that was the original version of it. Um, then later they did things like minifying and deduping, and they have things like what they call um, tree shaking and dead code elimination. So modern tooling can actually tell if there are parts of your code that aren't needed or aren't going to run, and just remove it. Right. So it can it can reduce the size of the file, on um, the, fi- the output files. So normal for normal JavaScript development, at the end of the day, this is going to produce. Um, probably uh, one index file, index.html, uh, maybe depending on various algorithms, a number of JavaScript files and a number of CSS files that have uh, they have been decided on how many and what's inside them based on algorithms that, that are set up to optimize the loading speed inside of a normal web environment. So over a server loading into a browser. So that's standard web app stuff. So another theme that I always try to go to when I'm working in this, is I try to stick to standard web development practices as much as I can, right? So I, mm-hmm. I'm i not trying to invent something that is, that is um, only FileMaker. And there, there's a lot of reasons for that. But the main one is I want to be able to rely on all this awesome tooling, right? All this awesome documentation stuff. So Parcel Handle's creating those files. And then there are plugins for all the bundlers that will then inline those files. And there are various okay. reasons for inlining so that the, these tools do exist, which is great. Uh, the reason we do it is because we want to put everything into a single text field. That's why we're inlining. And, and the reason we want to put it in a single text field is so that it will work offline. Now, you can do JavaScript widgets for FileMaker uh, being served, uh, so not inlining them. So that's just totally possible. And in fact, we're run, we have some cases right now with one of our bigger clients where we're going to have to do that. Well, we got, we'll have to serve those files. And this is because of different security can, reasons and other things I can't get into right now. But but there are reasons to serve files. And so you could you could not inline it. That would be a valid thing to do. But for many cases, you want them inline. And certainly for like the add-on case, we, we do. And so all this really happening, it's not magic, right? So at the end of the day, you get this one index file. It's got everything in it. And it can have millions of characters. And in fact, we've done... Apps that have 10 million characters in them—they're large—and it doesn't matter. FileMaker doesn't care. Just put it all in a text field. You can put—I don't know—a couple gigabytes in a text field. I think um, a lot. So, and then the way the way that we're actually uploading this is, um, as Jeremy mentioned we're calling a script in FileMaker, and we pass. All we do is we pass the path to the inline file, the the path on our computer to that inline file to the script. And then the script just uses a FileMaker read from file script step to read that file in. That's it. Not a lot of Which magic. Isn't
0: there. <laughs> and that's another rare, fairly new feature too, yeah. right? Yeah. That the, yeah. those script steps only came about in eight, 17 or 18. I think.
1: Yeah, it used to be you used to need a plugin for this, so you'd have okay. to use uh, you'd have to use base elements or or MBS or something to to read the files out. But we don't have to do that anymore. Now we can just read them in. So this is. 100% plugin free at this point. You don't need any plugins to do any of the stuff that we're doing here. It's all being done on disk and then just read into. It's actually being pulled into the filemaker file by that script.
0: That's pretty cool, and it's it's it feels good to be able to like lock down a version, right? It's 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 kind of version control. It's kind of like here is my final bug-free <laughs> version that I want. And what's cool in this in this scenario is you could have, let's say you have one client app and they've got five different JavaScript widgets. You could potentially, you could build a HTML fo- field for each one of those yep. different widgets. Each widget is pulling from a different HTML field and you can have five different repositories or five different um, folder sets for each of those, yep. each of those integrations and they're all pointing to the same file and they're all uploading their code to the, the specific field that you want.
1: Yep. Yeah. So you just have to write, you just have to write a script that for each of those projects or some way to modularize it. So you pass in a different parameter or something if you want to you know, upload different fields, but that's it. It's not, it's not that challenging. We're using entirely web tools and standard web tools all the way up until the moment that we inline it into FileMaker, and then it's inside of FileMaker, and then we're just using a data URL to to put that to display that in a, in a web viewer, and that's it.
0: Does does inlining? Um, it I know that it 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 minifies it. Does yeah. minifying the well, the process, building
1: minifies it? Okay, so the building, building minifies process it. minifies it. Yeah.
0: Does that does the minifying process? Does it like change it my does. actual code? Yeah. It it turn maybe does it turn like a long variable name into something really short?
1: Yeah. Is that is that what it does? It does.
0: Okay, that's interesting. I mean that that's the definition of minifying to make something smaller, right? So, yeah. It,
1: it'll take out all the comments, and it will take out all of the white space, and it'll take out everything it can get rid of, and then it, and then it, it actually uh, it does. It'll make short variable names. That's why the code of production stuff is usually unreadable. Because it's it's you know the variable names are like D <laughs> or C1, right? Instead of like you know um, you know contact data, it'll be like X, right? <laughs> yeah. So it'll do that for variable names. We do that for function names. It'll do it for everything that it can. Interesting. It'll, it'll make everything as small as it possibly can and still function. Okay. And uh, that can remove a lot of the a lot of the space in in a file. Massive reduction that way. That all happens in the build step. The reason I ask that is because in
0: in much conversation in the community about the add-ons is like, yeah. how do I get in there and I I change something, right? Yeah. And there are people that have have hacked the code, have hacked the HTML, yeah. have found a particular style and have changed it, whatnot. Yeah. But here's what I would say, and and they're like, why 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 isn't that part in the configuration? I it, I think I'm coming to the conclusion that when we when we were developing those add-ons we struggled with like making a chart config because there's so many different options mm-hmm. even in the calendar we we didn't have all the options in there that is possible we we claris w- told us what they wanted their scope and and that's what we did yeah but so a configuration is incomplete to represent the entire possible configuration possibilities of that library yep it's my it's my conclusion now that this development environment is a step above a add on because the configuration is actually in the JavaScript. Right.
1: It can, can be. Yeah. yeah. Yeah,
0: I can be working and make my make my code exactly what I want. I can change the width of those um, uh, Kanban card tiles. And I can um, then, when I'm done coding that in JavaScript in in VS Code, I can deploy it, and I've got a new version that is better defined for what I want.
1: Yeah. Now, I, it doesn't. I think configuration is still a valid case. Certainly for add-ons in the FileMaker space, a configuration with a UI is probably a good idea. However, it's a tremendous amount of work yeah. to do that. Yeah. Um, to get that in place, I, I. I think there's a middle ground which we're going to arrive at. I think I'm seeing it elsewhere is that people are just getting comfortable with writing a little bit of JavaScript or a little bit of JSON for their configuration. Mm-hmm. And it's it's much, much easier to support more things if you just say JSON is my UI, if you yep. will. And so what you're seeing is people are – they'll make – they'll make a – they'll say, um, how do you configure – you know like let's say docusaurus which is this great doc website thing that we're that we're using now what do you use to configure docusaurus it's it's essentially json javascript but it's json uh, so you can you could it tells you it gives you documentation about what how did that structure what it looks like and what you can put in there and then it validates it so if you enter anything that's bad it'll just mm-hmm. say this this is not correct you should have had you know instead of Instead of the, you you were supposed to put a URL in this field, in this JSON field, and you didn't. Like it doesn't begin with HTTP. So fix that. So to me, this is actually uh, a really interesting place to explore because um, once you're comfortable with JSON, you know, what do you need a UI for? Like, right? It's like, and you can be so much more flexible than any UI can be for like putting, you know, values in that said that, you know, I think there's, there's going to be a merger of this. Like it's going to be, you'll go into a JSON config and it'll have like a property for width and you'll be able to like run a slider right on that thing because it'll have, it'll know that it's a number and it'll know that you can use a, you can use a range slider on it. It'll just let you do that. But you didn't have to write like a, a GUI for that, The JavaScript Mm -hmm. tooling will handle it for you. That's what I think. And that's kind of a little bit of an aside, but I think what you're alluding to is right in that JSON and JavaScript is a great way to configure things, right? It just really, really is. I mean, every so library can we find a middle ground there, I think is the question. And I think we will.
0: Every library that I've ever worked with now has a configuration object. That's right. It's written because it's because it's in the JavaScript, it's written with JavaScript or as JavaScript where the keys are not quoted. That's right. But you could easily write that in JSON. Mm-hmm. and bring it into the into the JavaScript via the um, uh, perform JavaScript in a web viewer as one of the parameters, you could accept that into the function and load it in. And there have been three or four instances where that's happened. I think um, FM EasyCharts works like that. Um, I know that I had created a data tables sample file where every record was a different configuration and you could load that in and you got like, let's say Todd, when Todd logs in, he got the blue data tables and when I log in, I got the red one because I set the configs to be different for each one of us. So that's all great. The problem is that you can't use, you can't write a a function in JSON, right? So you couldn't pass a method that performs some action that you want when you're clicking on a row in data tables, right?
1: That's right. Yeah.
0: So there is a little bit of a downside to that, but for most of it, it's, and we did that for a client. He wanted a dashboard and I built it all nicely. I configured it exactly how he wanted with these two charts. And then he said, well, I want to be able to manipulate the the size of the bars or the size of the lines or whatever. And I'm like, okay. So I pulled the configuration out of JavaScript. I put it into a, a FileMaker field. I, I have a backup of it, like the 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 the, uh, the default, but he can go in there and he can manipulate. Say I don't want red and blue as my colors; I want green and yellow. That's right. And then that gets loaded into the JavaScript, yeah. and he's got his own configuration.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: But I, there's still. I, I a think this with is. It.
1: I think this 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 is the this is the future. Okay. I think we really need a really good JSON editor that has that um will give you like type ahead for like what are the possibilities at each value and that's really all we need and you want JSON that in schema. filemaker itself i oh, want well, somewhere um somewhere. json okay. schema a json schema, uh, so you can use these there's something called json schema which is a way of defining what values are allowed at each section of a javascript of a json document um and it can validate it so then you can you can take that JSON and you can validate against a schema and say whether it passed or not. And that is pretty awesome um, because that gives you the flexibility of JSON and the validation you need to make sure people can't break things or it's harder to break things.
0: Is that going to be able to handle all of the possible configurations of C, C3 C or JS or something? Well, or it's or not it going to handle
1: up? functions because you still can't, as and, and JSON, but... You can, you can also make this with JavaScript too. I mean, you could do something similar with it. Um, yeah. You see okay. JavaScript. The, the, the thing that's nice about JSON is that FileMaker has these nice functions for building it. So you can actually dynamically build your configs, which you can, can be pull, useful. You can pull that stuff from fields or from you can pull it from anywhere. fields. Yeah. You can, you can yeah. script it up. You can do it. So that's what, why JSON is, is nice, but you can write JavaScript just as easily um, for a config as you can JSON. So in terms of by hand.
0: This JavaScript development environment is is something, and I think I've gotten all the pieces to it. There are things like Git and NPM that we didn't really get into here, but I think are, as I you know, as as we talk about this um, from Proofgeist here, we talk about it. We well, we can explain all of that. One of our um, one of my teammates uh, Eric is. Astounding at Git, and he knows everything about it. I think you know, pretty much. So I'm going to get him to teach us all about Git and help us to understand how to use it. You don't have to go overboard with this, but I think you know having branches and knowing a little bit about commits is is important. It's this. really a
1: superpower, and it again, it's one of these things that is getting um, used even outside of programming. People write documentation and they write. Legal docs in Git because of the version control is so good, right?
0: Interesting. So
1: okay. uh, it's it's really kind of becoming just sort of a, a nice tool to have. It's like it's like what Excel, what was you know, twenty or thirty years ago, giving using being a good Excel user gave you superpowers, and Git does as well. Um, and it's not just in programming. Like there's like there's like a set of technologies that are just really good to know, even if you're not writing code. But if you're, you know, you just have a, um, you're in, you're in business operations. If you can do markdown, which is like a lightweight markdown markup language. Um, and if you can do JSON and if you can do Git and maybe a little JavaScript, that's a very good set of skills to base a career on right there.
0: I mean, if your client needs a date picker or if his client needs a dashboard, the only the best way to to handle those now now nowadays is JavaScript. We have almost almost all of the barriers have been removed by Claris in their app. And there's you know there's been a lot of work done in the Claris community, the FileMaker community about how to understand JavaScript, how to work with it, examples of it and so forth. Mm -hmm. Um so yeah. So this development environment, I'm just You know, I have like done this probably 20 times now. I've done it maybe for four or five clients. um, This idea that using this setup that we described here and I've played with it, you know, every time there's somebody on the forums is asking for like, hey, can I have my own calendar that does this or this? I spin up a, a, a test to see if I can get that library inside of this development environment. And I've actually been pretty successful. There have been times when I've had to, link to the CDN of the library like uh-huh. data tables sometimes I'm able to install it into my environment here my folder structure and then import it um, so there there are a couple of times when I was like I had to go a different path but so far I haven't been confounded by anything I think so it's 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 it's, it's kind of worth pursuing and I kind of feel like this is a production ready kind of, framework to build JavaScript widgets. Um, Do you think that, or am I a little too excited Mm -hmm. about this
1: right now? No, I I think it's good to be excited about this. I mean, this is, these are the kind of things that can really power up our abilities, right? By having something that we can easily get started on without having to like rethink all of the steps required to get something to work. You just want a kit that you can just use to get you there, right? And then you just use that kit.
0: Now this doesn't work yet well in Web Direct. Um, that is the downside. The the I think that the apps that I'm I haven't actually tested this, but the the widgets that I build that I inline they may not work well in Web Direct. Is that correct?
1: No, the inlining will be will be okay. It's a development okay. environment that won't work. You're gonna have That's to right. add, okay. you're gonna have to add an iframe wrapper to get it to work in development.
0: But I can, but I can, I can develop it on with a client file. And yeah. after I'm ready, I can host this and, and or access it yeah. via web Direct, and it should work just fine. Right. Well, because-
1: yeah. WebDirect is, is still a little bit of a wrinkle in terms of the behaviors are quite different there. Okay. Um, and you'll run into things that you won't run into on pro. Like for example, resizing the window will cause the whole web app. Your, your widget will reboot from scratch okay um and so there's there's issues like that that are going to um that are going to give you fits and you'll have to figure out how to how to deal with that uh you can develop with a dev server like parcel or crate racked app or whatever by using an iframe wrapper which i don't know that we wrote about but we certainly i don't know that we've written about it but we certainly know what to do and i think i think jason uh, from seed code wrote about it um, yeah pretty sure he did because i remember I remember reading that and coming up with the methods that we wanted to use. so seed Code has a has an article on their blog about how to do how to do an iframe wrapper
0: well i'll I'll um put that I'll see if I can put that. Is it worth do you think that's worth
1: putting into my little
0: setup here or just leave that out for now?
1: Um I think I would note it so that people know I mean there're people who are hundred percent web direct now and they will need to know it because they will have. They will run into issues. (laughs) You want to be able to dev in web direct if you can. Now you can't always, and we're going to, at some point, maybe we'll do an episode on what you, what to do. If you can't, you know, there's other, other tricks that we can do and other things and even some benefits of doing it in other ways. But Mm -hmm. um, right now, if you want to do this, you're going to have to do it inside of an iframe wrapper. We call it that kind of bridges the gap between web direct and your development server.
0: Well, we'll wrap this up because I think we've gone through everything. You have helped me learn this. I'll tell you one thing that you and I will have to talk about at some point. I can't, you asked me to look at Parcel 2. Um, yeah. I'm still using Parcel 1 and Parcel 2 is just a little bit above what I know what to do with it because it doesn't, the plugin that does the inlining doesn't yeah. work. The, yeah,
1: you need a different plugin, that's all.
0: Yeah, so you're going to have to help me find that. But for now, pl- Parcel 1 works. It's not supported. When people install it, they're gonna get some errors that say this is not, no longer supported, but it still works. It's still yeah. functioning if, if there's a not specific.
1: a if there's not an inline plugin for parcel, you can get an inliner for something like grunt, which is a task runner. I think that's even what I think that's even what we used for the add ons was grunt or huh? gulp. No, we used gulp. Gulp, yeah, go so If you look at our code base for gulp for the add ons, you'll find the gulp commands that we use to do the inlining, and that will work.
0: So I could use I could use Parcel as my development server and Bundler, and then use Gulp for the inlining portion. Yeah, and then
1: you just you tack on a a Gulp task to inline it at the end. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah. Oh well, see there you go. I learned something new. Cool. Well. this development environment is, is, is I'm, I'm gonna I'm starting to get it out there. I've shown it to some people here and there. I've done some ad hoc Zoom meetings, and I'll probably do some this week as well, just to show people and kind of test it out with people. I've gotten a lot of great feedback, and people are like, well, why did you do this? What did you do this there? So it, it helps me know what to do. But my goal is to start to get videos out there and make this available for people to try and, um, you know, build web widgets with this
1: awesome cool
0: all right well thanks todd this was good i'm glad i ran through everything with you i feel good that this is a a good thing to pursue still it's still it's what i do it's what i play with when i have nothing else to to, (laughs) to do right now Cool. all right all right thanks man talk to you later okay
1: jeremy talk to you soon Bye 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 and that brings us to the end of
0: another episode of the context podcast I'm glad today that I got a chance to sit with Todd and generally with other members here at Proofgeist to review code, discuss a concept, fine tune my own understanding, or up my skill level in a particular area. In this discussion, Todd clarified some ideas and made known the tech behind what I'm trying to do here. Stay tuned to Proofgeist for more information on this JS development environment and join me, if you can, in the Ad Hoc Office Hours. Please take a moment to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We work hard to bring you the best content, but we would love to know what you have to say. So let me know. Uh, Feel free to email me also at thecontextpodcast at proofgeist.com, and we'll be glad to listen to your feedback. Talk to you next time.